ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Yeah, hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Gag and Pod in Conversation, a new look format for us at Optus Sport for our podcast because, well, let's face it, there's no football at the moment, but we need our football fix. So David Wiener with you once again for another trip down memory lane in our Newcastle office in Sydney and we're joining our Hertfordshire Bureau today. That's uh, partway between Watford and Luton in London as Michael Bridges brings a teammate on board for a stroll down the Premier League in yesteryear. Can't wait to see where we're going here. Let's get started. Bridgie, hello mate, how are you? How, how is life in Newcastle in our uh, in these strange and unusual times? Yeah, we're doing very well Dave, thanks mate. It's, um, the kids are off school, we've got them into a good routine. The, we haven't had many fights um, of late, and we've also got them doing some some good exercises, mate, to keep the keep the mental health going as well. So we're on, in in good spirits, but it's it's great to actually do this podcast of an evening for a change. We normally do it in the morning, but because we're going over to the UK to have a chat with one of my old colleagues and old roommates, um, it's actually refreshing because I'm sat here with a beer, Dave. So I'm really enjoying it and looking forward to having a good chat. With um, a man that I've got I'm full of admiration for because he made me laugh over so many times um, when we were roommates together. So um, I'll let you do the introduction, Dave, and it's great to be back on the podcast. Well, it's great that you'll be talking plenty of sense tonight. That'll be excellent. So that's, uh, we, should, we should come to this strategy more often. But without further ado, welcome to Michael Dubery. We're going back to the turn of the century to one of your teammates, Bridgie at Leeds United. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Uh, how, how are you? I'm good. Hello, or good day, mate, as you should say. Um, um, I'm all right. It's good. It's not too bad. I'm I'm happy to be here. Yes, we could be doing worse things to pass the time than talking about a bit of football and and basically having a bit of fun, reminiscing of yesteryear. And I cannot wait for some of the stories you probably have about Bridgie that we're going to uncover over the next little short while. And Bridgie, I said we we're, we're going to go back to the turn of the century because. Uh, Yourself and Michael played at that Leeds team of 1999. And, and you guys, you guys got to know each other fairly well, I believe. Yeah, it was an interesting time there because Leeds United were spending um, good money at the time. They were buying a lot of the England under-21s players. And, you know, I got the call to go down there, which I was never going to turn down. It was a fantastic opportunity because... They had a very good youth team, you know, Jonathan Woodgate, Ian Hart, Harry Kuehl, MacPhail, Robinson were all coming through the ranks and to actually be part of that team and get the, the the call to go and sign, it was sensational. And there was another lad, obviously Michael Dubry had signed 
from Chelsea. Uh, and we've come across each other a couple of times on international 21s duties. Um, never really, you know, got to know each other. It was always just high train, play and go back to your club. But it was uh, fascinating times when we both signed. We were both living in the same hotel in Leeds at Alton Hall for about three months together. And, you know, the, the, the three months that we spent basically as roommates in a hotel and also at the football club were just fantastic. And um, good, fun memories because, like I say, he always made his laugh, practical joker. So we, we got on like a house on fire. And now I can assure you, Michael, I've, I've, I've told Bridgie we're going to do a podcast on your days at Leeds, but I am going to hijack that uh, talk about your days at Chelsea a little bit later on. Um, sorry, Bridgie, rest assured, we're going to take a bit of time on that. But um, there you were in your early 20s and uh, moving to, to Leeds, and you ran into Michael Bridges. Now, what do we need to know that we don't know about a 23-year-old or so, Michael Bridges? 20-year-old. Um, well, I don't know, Bridges. Um, I knew Bridgie from the under 21s, you know, he was uh, straight legged, pale skinned, um, <laughs> guy from the North East, good striker, um, just so friendly with everyone. Um, and then we signed for Leeds together. So we was in the same hotel, we'd eat together, we'd train, we'd come back, got to know him, good lad. You know, sometimes in football, you know, you don't always get on with everyone, but when you find someone like mine who's just loves a joke and loves to laugh and a good player. Remember, you always earn your respect from how you play. You can be the funniest top guy, but if you're, you're shit, no one likes you. So let's get that straight. He was a, a good player. So we always got on well. But um, so when we, we was in the hotel together, so when you, you, you know, Leeds was a tight unit of a club. They had a, a good core of, of players. So we're the two new guys. So on away trips, we, you know, we, we room together quality. I mean, remember, we're in a hotel. He goes back to his room. I go back to mine. We see each other in the morning. We drive training. But all of a sudden now we're, you know, we're rooming together. And when you room together with someone, you actually start seeing more about them and their sort of habits. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't even care for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, all right, mate, like I'll go in the bathroom. Bridget, you, you're not going to flush the toilet after you've had a piss. Like, oh yeah, sorry, mate. I'm like, well, you know, the first time you think it's an accident, the second time thinking, ah, maybe he's a bit forgetful. And it's like, but after a while, you get to go, this, this guy don't flush the toilet. Actually, it's disgusting. You know that someone who pees, it looks like Lucozade's in the toilet. It's that sort of colour. He wasn't really very hydrated back then. Um, his nutrition might be a little bit better now. And I never forget, like, you know. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. I never forget the time when we was rooming together. I think it was in a, uh, it might have been a, it might have been a, um, uh, pre-season trip because it was uh, it was together for a, a few days so I'd come back to the room and they'd like you know you look at the hotel glasses and there's a glass by his bed and over the course of like two or three days he'd collected like seven or eight blue bottles pulled the wings off them but kept them in the glass <laughs> I'm like Bridgie like what is that oh mate mate look look at this look at this I was like no I'm not, I'm no David Attenborough, like that's disgusting, throw it away. And over the course of time, he kept him like, it was like his prize, prize treasure and his habits, like, you know, Bridge, you're not going to shower. I uh, mean, I do it after training. It is after training. I'll do it later. <laughs> like, it was just like, you know, the nickname, the germ was labeled him very uh -huh. early on in his Leeds career and it stuck. 
the German. That crucified me, that nickname, and that came from you, the German. I'll never forget it. And he lived up to it, and he, everything he'd done, he just lived. There's, I mean, as this this podcast goes on, I'm sure there's more and more you know, stories where he lived up to the nickname, the German, but he was the German for, like, you know, for many as lovely a guy and top man he was he was the German. he lived up to that name you still happy we're going ahead with this Bridgie mate I was just about to say it's, I think it's the last time I get one of my ex-colleagues on this show I'm going to get assassinated I've got Greenpeace chasing us now for cruelty to animals oh mate them blue bottles you know like when they're, they're, they're all at the bottom it was like are you trying to make a song or something throw them away and he kept them it's like He's like that little, you know, that little grubby kid that used to like burn ants with a magnifying glass. It was just Bridges' version of like collecting blue bottles in a oh, glass. It wasn't even I a was cup. An only, I was an only child growing up, mate. I didn't have all these luxuries. Yeah, so I'm I sure your parents myself. bought you a couple of bits of Lego. No one had to play with blue bottles. Come on, now, it was it was disgusting. It was disgusting. Oh, quality. Ah, uh, well, well, now we do know something. Know that knew that we didn't know about you before, Bridgie. Um, on the park, though, I, I know you've spoken. Um, fondly about how tight that team was. Quite how you fit in now, I'm not quite sure. But um, take us back to those days and those memories. Uh, first to you, Bridgie, um, and how key that was to the to the growth of what was a team that is looked back on so fondly, particularly here in Australia. Yeah, I mean, like Duke said, when you're the new, it was my first move from a from the club after being a youngster at Sunderland, and you know, leaving home living away, going to a new club, you didn't know how you were going to react. And I was, you know, I was a Sunderland reserve player, really, when you when you think about because Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn were the main guys at Sunderland. I couldn't get game time unless they were injured. So for Leeds to put that much faith and put that much money, and I went there and really didn't back myself early on um, when we went there because I knew the talent that was there. And I really knuckled down pre-season with a guy called Ed Baranowski who worked the socks off me to get fit because Jimmy Floyd had just left. And it was just, I was very nervous. So it was reassuring when I, like the friendship with Dubes at the hotel of living there, being the two new signings, um, you know, it, it he, he gave me, I was quite a shy lad, to be fair, coming from the Northeast. I hadn't really been a city life lad. So it was good to see another side of somebody that had, you know, had come from a, a big city, had a bit about him. So it, it brought the best out of me off the field. And I think that relaxed me to go on and be able to to believe that I was good enough to to play with his group of players um, when we, you know, when 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 I felt like I was ready and got myself fit, so but the when, once we blended in with that team, I'll never forget. They made you feel so welcome because it, it was a young team as as well, Dave. So everybody had very very similar personalities. Everybody had very similar things that they enjoyed doing. You know, I, I remember just playing computer games on away trips. Um, me and Dubs went and bought some. Remember when we got the remote control cars and we're driving them in the car park of the the this really posh hotel every day and. You know, there's petrol fumes going everywhere. Me and Dubs are kicking up dirt with the remote control cars. And it was just a, an absolute pleasure. And the lads were so bound together off the fields. It was one out, all out. It reflected on the training park because when you went over that white line, everybody had a – it wasn't a mess around then. It was it was serious business. And um, everybody raised their game. And my game went to a new level because I was getting marked by players like Dubry, by Woodgate, Lucas Radibi. And you've got to up your game to be able to compete in training. So it was, um, it was, it was a, a nice, refreshing change um, to to go somewhere and be accepted. S- similar memories, Michael. Yeah, I mean, you, 
you come into this group, remember the, 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 the team that we went into, they'd been together since a lot of them youth team days. And, you know, there'd been like a couple years between them. You know, you had the, the Kells that, that, that leading the way, you know, a few senior players, um, Nigel Martin, um, and we went there as young lads and we had similar mentalities. We've just like, you know, youth team, we had that, we know that youth team mentality. So we come into there, everyone's like, you know, the English, Irish, that British sort of um, background. Um, and everyone wanted the same thing, which was success, which should be a top player. And, you know, even though there was three good players in every position, there wasn't that snidey trying to, stab each other in the back. It was like, let's work hard together. And everyone drove each other on. You know, the when Bridges spoke about um, getting better in training because of who he played against, you know, you had a wide range of players. I had uh, playing against uh, Smithy, Alan Smith, who was a, good at pinning you. Bridges moving, who could, in the box, Fox in the box. Um, H, who was fast and, you know, uh, speedy and good on movement. So you, every day, you know, you couldn't have, um, a bad day in training. If you did, you know, you'd get a bit of banter about it and you think you don't want to be the weak link. You don't want to let anyone down. And it was so close knit, you know, we'd go and eat together after training. There'd be 20 of us rolling into the local restaurant just to go and sit and eat. And we'd sit and we'd joke around. Then we'd all go home and then, you know, groups together, like me and Bridget go back to the hotel. And eventually when we found our, our place to live, it was a close knit then. So everything was like tight and everyone wanted success. And on the training field, everyone drove each other on. You know, everyone wanted to win. Some led by example, some led vocally, some led in other ways. It was just, you know, what we want success. And it was such a um, a group where, you know, I speak, when I speak to people about, you know, they ask, when was your best time in your career? Um, even though I had most of my success and winning stuff at Chelsea, that memories for the bond, for the the camaraderie was, you know, that period of time at Leeds United because it was like so tight. You, you, in some places, Bridget like testified to this, you know, you, you go and at lunchtime, you might wait to see if your mate's there. You just go and sit down next to anyone. And then all of a sudden everyone congregates together and we like, it wasn't waiting for your mate to go lunch together. You just go to lunch, sit down and you join the conversation with anyone. You just, everyone sat and got on with everyone. It was like, it was you crazy. You the nail on the head there, dudes, because... There was no clicks. That's what I, I found after I left um, Leeds United and went to a few of the clubs. It was there was very clicky. Yeah, um, Newcastle United had that. There was a group of four on one table. It, whereas you know at Leeds we didn't have any bitchiness. It was like driving each other on. You knew that your opportunity would come, and it, that's a very hard recipe to find when yeah. everybody is pushing each other, but they're pushing each other in the right way rather than being um, snidey about it. And the funniest, no, the funniest one for me that the lads introduced was um, the we used to have a thing called the yellow jersey, Dave, and I, I think I've mentioned that to you. The worst player of the week on a Friday would get the the vote for the worst player of the week, and you didn't want to get that. But then we took it to a whole new level when we introduced the Robin Reliance, and that you had to drive into the stadium. It was just hilarious banter that people end up finding. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Is there a common denominator for that, guys? Was it? Was it? Was it something that was masterminded by by David O'Leary? Was it um, just a perfect storm of recruitment? Um, what it sounds like it is very unique to all the other teams you played in. Can you put your finger on it um, on what it might have been and and just explain how much of a difference that translates to on the field? 
Um, I, I, I would say this. I mean, the blueprint that they was using in in recruiting players was the way wanting to get the best young British talent and build from there, and that was that worked. They 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 kept recruiting, and he had. Remember Leeds, we was one trophy away from building something massive, right? So we, the, that recruitment policy they had was like unbelievable. Well done to whoever it was. As far as giving credit to DOL, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Um, I saw a funny thing that um, Danny Mills was hammering him the other day, um, and he didn't have much good things to say about him. And I'd say David O'Leary was blessed with the talent he had. Was so blessed with the talent he had at his disposal. Um, the players drove it on. The players drove it. He he was just sitting in the driver's seat, and the, the car was on autopilot. He, we drove it on. The 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 desire. I remember everyone there wanted to win the play. I, mean, I come I, when I come to to Leeds. I was fortunate enough to be one of the only players to have won a trophy. Like it was like. Wow, but everyone wanted it and I wanted it. I wanted it to, to do it at Leeds and everyone wanted to win something to be the best. We wanted to knock off Man United. We had no fear. David O'Leary didn't. David O'Leary was just the 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 head, the face. He was blessed with the talent he had and I don't think he utilised it the best way. His management wasn't great. His leadership wasn't great. It was just the lad's pure desire to want to be the best and win things that the it, it drove it move it forward it wasn't uh, DOL um, by no means it was I mean, the players I've, I've, talked, I've talked about that in the, in the past dudes with O'Leary I think when I look back at games when we played against Arsenal and Manchester United that season we were top at Christmas yeah. and when it came to taking them teams on we just didn't seem to have the tactical now so the tactical advantage to be able to compete no. with them physically mentally yes but I got more instructions off Eddie Gray than I did off David O'Leary. And when I look back, I think it's because it was in his, his early stages of his managerial career that he, you know, like you say, the spending the money, getting the best young talent fitness-wise, having a great youth team, that manufactured. But we definitely drove the the um, the bond and the culture at yeah. that football club. I don't think, I don't think he was, um, I don't think he had that, tactical awareness. I don't think he can set out a game plan. He wasn't that sort of manager. He was okay. He thought and he wasn't even a motivating one because some of his team talks were embarrassing. Let's be honest when you look back. Um, and it was more of a case of we went out and we played and we played and the reasons that we didn't sustain, you know, with the Man United's and the, the, the Chelsea at the, the, the stage was because they had that sort of experience and knew how to finish off. We didn't. We was just playing on our inexperience and enthusiasm. They had the experience. We just plan on enthusiasm. And apart from Bats and Nigel Martin, and only Bats had gone the whole way to win a, a league, Nigel Martin was just a top goalkeeper of experience. We didn't know how to close. We didn't know how to do that. So, and we needed a manager to, to do that. And Eddie Gray gave us some good sound bites and good bits and pieces, but we needed a manager to set out a game plan and to drill it into us, you know, because we got to this far, now we're competing with the top ones. We needed someone to say, hey, this is what you've got to do. Stick to it. Do this and do that. And we didn't. And we were just playing purely on youth, enthusiasm, energy, hunger, desire. And we needed a little bit more when we come up against the top elite ones. What I will give him credit for, though, Dubs, to be fair, the way he did keep the culture going, we always wanted Wednesdays off. We did a double session on a Tuesday. 
We ran our nuts off Tuesday afternoon just so we could go out for student night in Leeds on the Tuesday night, knowing we had the Wednesday off. And he he, he embraced that to a, to a degree. And, uh, you know, that, that kept us together as well. So I think he did play his part a little bit with the culture. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not here to bash David O'Leary in any sense. Um, but when you, when you, when you, when you look at it, when you're looking at it through a lens of a 21-year-old hungry player, um, you know, you kind of, it, it, it's okay. But when you look for it through a retired 44-year-old that's seen a little bit now, you're looking thinking he could have done a little bit more. And embracing the culture, yeah, but just look, if you would have said no, no, no. Remember, he started doing that. He started saying, no, no, I'm cutting out. He started saying there's a drinking culture. Yeah. There wasn't a drinking culture. There was a social culture. And, you know, and remember, everyone... Because everyone might drink on a Tuesday and drink heavily on a Tuesday because there was nothing till Saturday. Do you know I mean, no one, no one took liberties. After Thursday, Friday, everyone was deadly serious, bang on the game. It was just a little relief. And most times everyone do it privately, round the house and not too much um, publicly. So he had to really, he couldn't resist everything, otherwise he'd lose everything. And when he did start losing the team as such is because he started trying to, put his, you know, iron fist down too much and, you yeah. know, pull the other way. I was going to ask you guys, I'll, I'll go to you, Bridgie, now. You mentioned something there, Michael, about, uh, you know, in hindsight, now you look back on it. Um, did you guys sense that at the time, that you were missing that one little bit of knowledge, that one little kick along to go to the next level? Because you often hear about, you know, when the coach loses the dressing room, um, how that um, filters down into the team. Is this something you're looking back now in hindsight or was that, there, that feeling then that come on, give us something more. I, I never got that feeling, Dave, because like I say, I was nineteen twenty at the time. Come from Sunderland, where I had a manager in Peter Reid that was a massive motivator. He, you know, a winner. He, he he drove you with his team talks, and he would smash you. He would he could annihilate you in a dressing room, but he could also make you feel a million dollars. Bobby Saxton, on the other hand, was the assistant. He was the one with all the tactical genius and would give you the advice. When I got to Leeds, I never saw. It was just a. Like you said, we went out and we were fearless. We were ruthless. We played off the cuff. He named the team and we got out there. And I think the only time I really got good instructions through my Leeds career, when I realised that this guy is a, is a genius, was actually Terry Venables. He, he took me under his wing and gave me so much advice as a, as a striker. And I, I was just playing off the cuff at Leeds United with great players um, who were producing. We, we knew the formation. We knew the... Um, this the system, but tactically we didn't have any rotations or anything. It was just go out and run your bollocks off and win this game with your quality. Mark, you were talking about the uh, the he he had the team, but there were other drivers. Who are the personalities that you remember? Uh, the, the 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 generals on the park that sort of uh, that, that led that led that campaign. Um, Gary Kelly, Mister Leeds, he was there. You know, he he was like you know you you always hear about um, the Man United boys and they knew the coach and. It, Gary Kelly like drove the the Leeds culture. He knew it. He'd been there for a generation. He was there. Um, Lucas led by example. Um, he was there. You know, he was a captain. Nigel Martin, David Batty, and then you, I think then from that was everyone else just played their role. Everyone else played their role. The 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 nucleus of the team was that, but. Everyone had their part to play, you know, with it with Woody and his his his, his banter and, and Bo on, and tell his. About, tell them about Woody and Jason Wilcox. Come on, what? How fun? How funny they were! Oh, mate, mental. Yeah, like Jason. Everyone doesn't realize, but Jason Wilcox is. I, I had him down as the funniest person I've met in football. 
unbelievably funny. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't realise how funny he was. He just like his banter. Woody again, Woody was like again, um was was unbelievably funny. Like people don't realise, you know, there's there's you know, the documented um court case of Leeds and you know, me and Woody Woody was my best friend at Leeds for like, you know, he was my best friend at Leeds and that's what made the whole thing crazy. But he was my best friend at Leeds. When I was at the hotel, Bridget tell you, Woody was always there, coming back, standing in my room, sleeping. Like, it was just, he was there. Woody was like my best friend at Leeds, but he had funny banter. We got on so well with him because he had that silly, crazy banter and just joking. But everyone had their part. H and his, his moody self, but then he'd be funny and moody. Um, Smithy, again, you know, another Leeds lad that was just like Mr. Yorkshire. Um, you know, you had like uh, Millsy. Eric Backer, that embraced the culture, Scandinavian. Yeah, was- Eric Backer. You had um, Danny Mills, who was the oldest 22-year-old you'd ever meet. Do you know what I mean? Um, he would be around Nigel Martin and, and Bats. Like, they were in their 30s. And Millsy would like, you know, be drinking, I'll have a cup of tea. Oh, Nige, Nige. Um, so, they, all, but he it was needed, just- all he needed was a... a um, an old man's peak cap with yeah. a pipe. He's like he was, Benjamin Button. Yes, I said to him the other day. He said he had that Benjamin Button disease, but he just, he just, he, everyone had their their part, and it made it grow. It made, you know, if you had if you had this vehicle where everyone does their bit, you know, the steering wheel's doing his bit. No one's trying to do anything else but their bit, and that's what made it so successful. And that's when you just needed someone to say, okay, brilliant, we've got this wicked vehicle. Now you go up, left, and straight and give it the proper direction where we were just bulldozing and just, just running on enthusiasm and fuels. So um, there, was a, there was a few, everyone, but I'd say Kells, uh, Lucas as captain, um, Nigel Martin Sr., um, they were like the, the main ones because they were like leads and everyone and else was just part, part of it. as well, big man. Don't get us wrong. You were one of the pranksters as well because I used yeah, to hate yeah. I used to hate going into the dressing room to go to the toilet, right? Because if you were, if you need a number two and you went into the toilet and you had to sit there for longer than four minutes, I guarantee you, you got an ice bucket over the top of the toilet door, which soaked you for the whole day. And it didn't matter what you were wearing. The lads always seemed to catch you out and get you. So it was it just... Was, yeah, I mean, again, I say everyone played their part. I lo- Listen, I love my time. Everyone had their role. Um, you know, when we come in the morning, like we'd have to be in a, say we'd have been at 10 and people were coming in at nine, quarter past nine, quarter to nine, just so we'd get in early, run around, joke around, and then training to finish two, and then we'd, we'd be around the training ground to about four, like just so we can just hang around with each other, running jokes, it, like it was just unbelievable. Like, but everyone had their role and everyone played their part. But when you got from from say half ten till half one on the training field, it was like you know. Like you, everyone push and do your role, and they're like, "Hey, Bridgie, come liven up, boom!" And they'd be like, "Hey, come on up!" And like you'd want to drive each other, and that you got everything out of that session because you know you didn't take the the half-hearted mess around onto the training ground. Bridgie Michael mentioned one trophy away from you know really building something remarkable, and and we jest you know in studio and in and in coverage about leads and 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 what could have been and the and the drought in the Premier League and that kind of thing. But all jokes aside, do you and the cohort, do you sometimes look back and go, oh, we we were that close from becoming something really remarkable? Of course you do. I mean, I hate looking in the past because I'm a big believer in faith. Faith, Dave, that things happen for a reason. But you look Christmas time, top of the Premier League, you wait for semi-finals getting knocked out due, you know, off Galatasaray. And we had a lot of things going on in our heads off the field after 
Kevin and Chris were sadly um, stabbed over there. And, you know, that really affected our season. The year after the um, Champions League semi-finals getting beat, we were the almost nearly club. And like I say, I think if it, I look back and I think if we just have had a bit more tactical nous about us with a manager that knew how to win and possibly a few more players that had won things in the in the past, like Man United seemed to always find a way to do it because they'd had that taste of success. We we had two lads, and David Batty and Michael Doobie, that had won something. Um, and that, I think we really missed that ingredient. And I, I do think, oh, I agree with Doobie, that team could have gone on to be, uh, we just kept adding and adding to it. You know, Mark Viduka came, Rio Ferdinand came. We were just on a on a roller coaster, mate. And it was, it was derailed financially off the park because... Um, Leeds hadn't been in that situation before spending the money, and it all went, it all went, um, you know, tit, tits up, and it, it's really sad because that that team was incredible because of the culture and the spirit as well. Yeah, why do you think the biggest for both of you as well? Uh, and I'll start with you, Michael. Is um, the biggest what if or regret from that vintage? We're both called Michael. <laughs> The other bloke's Bridgie. The other bloke's Bridgie. Okay, all right, go on. All right. So what's the, <laughs> sorry, I lost the question. Go on. Tell me the question again. So I was being funny. Go on. What? Yeah, no, no, the, the sliding doors of um, what is the biggest what if or or, or what could have been when when your when your cohort looks back at that 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 vintage. Um, again, it's like Bridgie just said. It, it's it's just uh, when you say one trophy away, that like, you know the the sustaining things and getting over the finishing line. Many, many, many teams. I, I said to someone the other day that um, recent years, Tottenham Hotspur were very much like our Leeds team. So close, nearly. And as you say, they were one trophy away from building something special. Now you'll see that Spurs team will start to disperse and go their separate ways and, and break up. And, you know, what could have been? And that was us, you know, so close and the nearly. So you're looking at things and thinking the what ifs, there's many times. But if we just had that little bit of, when you hear Man United talk, they always knew how to get over the finishing line. They knew how to grind it out. They just knew. And if we had someone, you know, um, not taking it away from the senior players or what we had, just to to say, okay, close ranks. Well, Bridges, don't chase into the corner there. Now we're going to, now we're going to start in defending uh, from the halfway line, just hold it a little bit rather than just playing open and, and going and just going blow for blow and swing for swing and making we it a basket. We expansive game, didn't we? Yeah, and, and sometimes we'd lose and, you know, more often not that we'd win, but then sometimes we'd lose and, you know, play against the Man United and they'd stay compact and all of a sudden now, you know, they're just spring sank open, get a goal and now they're compact and we're trying to chase it and then instead of being one nil close, it's two nil, game over, game done. And we didn't have that little bit of that little know-how or someone to say, well, don't chase, don't go, stay. Well, even though we were good players, everyone was great at their jobs. Everyone was great at their roles and we knew how to play it. But we just needed that little bit from somewhere, that something. As, you know, People call it you know, in the X factor or something. What is that little bit of secret ingredients to say, this is what we've got to do. Whether it was the tactics before the game, whether it was the general on the pitch, the instructions on the pitch to come, whether it is the sign to say, well, we're going into plan B now. You know, there was that we needed just to change certain things and then it would have been a little bit different. But, you know, that what if, I'm sure there's many teams that have gone the what if and the what ifs, the what ifs. And, you know, we don't want to sound like, you know, where these, these bitter old pros, but I'm saying... It was one trophy away from building. And then you start building, then the players increase. And then, 
you know, there's no financial problems because you're on this winning streak and it starts financing itself. You know, where you're still, we, we miss out. Well, now we're chasing, now we're chasing, we're chasing. And when you're well, chasing, you're, you're spending. Just, you know, I'd never thought about it. That's exactly how it is. Yeah. Is there a game, Bridgie, that, is there a game or moment that you look at and pick out as um as one of those sliding doors? Is it a game? Is it the Champions League semi-final season? Is it the is it the title what chase year? Is there one in particular that you look back on? As it, as in where it went wrong, or as a memory? A, 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 a moment that sort of sums up what we're just sort of saying now. I, I will. The ninety nine two thousand season was the. The game we returned from Galatasaray, we were playing Arsenal at home. We, you know, we'd lost lost them. Um, Kevin and Chris, we went and gave all the fans flowers uh, during the game before kickoff. Minds were elsewhere. You know, some of the lads knew the the Kevin and Chris very well personally off the field. Um, there were fans that travelled everywhere. Our heads weren't mentally in the right place. You want to go out and perform for the fans, but we got torn apart by Arsenal with Thierry Henry Perez. Um, and I remember, I remember looking back at that game, thinking, "My, that that was a we had a special team, and they did." And after that game, that season, I think mentally we were just completely drained. But I looked at that team, and I saw them with the defensive discipline, also with the attacking flair that we had. But they had the defensive structure. They they were an organised team tactically. And looking back, we were a million miles away from being tactically um, as acute as they were. Is it one for you, Michael, as well? Yeah, I, I, um, what would I pinpoint it on? Um, I mean, after that incident, it was... When you think that most of the squad were in their early 20s and you're playing the game you love, you're in a position where you're playing at the pinnacle for some of them, for some of us, uh, the top elite uh, club football and... An incident like that happens where someone like dies. Is like this isn't like what is this? It's it's so crazy. It's so like to then what's going on? Like oh my god, you know. Remember we're in a hotel and we're we're seeing news and hearing this. It's like wow. Like and then to then come back to earth and to get switched on. It's like phew, it was wow, tough it was for like, you lads, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it just and it, remember it's nothing where everyone can pick each other up because you don't know what to say. It's like, it's like a death in the family. And then you're like, well, what do you do? How do you pick yourself up? No one can really say anything. It's like, okay, this guy again. And as much as you try and, you know, you can block out a lot as a, as a footballer when you're determined. You can block out a lot. Block out the media, block out uh, harsh criticism, block out, you know, the misses getting on your nerves, block out a lot. But f- to block that out, it's it was... It was, it was a, a little bit too much. Point, it was it was a turning point in our season and for the club and for the fans. It, it was yeah, it was too it was a little bit it was a little bit too much to to for as a, a, a group of players to take on. Um and it kind of changed things. It you know, it was like it left us a little bit flat from that. It left us a, a flat a lot. Do you know what I mean? And you know, you're trying to the usual vibrant vibe around the training ground and it was a little bit flat for a long time and it did change things. So yeah, that would be a, a pinpoint where it kind of knocked the wind out of our sails and it took a while f- for it to to pick up again. 
Okay, and for those who uh, maybe not, don't remember that incident, are, are not Leeds fans or are more neutral supporters, it was a it was a tragedy where two supporters on an away trip to Turkey to play Galatasaray um, were were killed, and it, yeah, it had a, had a big impact on the club and everyone involved, and still does to this day. Um, to change pace, guys, though, um, this week on Optus Sport. We have club days, and even though we are the Premier League rights holders, one of those club days is a Leeds United club day, uh, because there's some great stuff in the archive about uh, the glory, the glory uh, years that we're talking about right now. To you, Bridgie, first, and then and then Michael. If you could pinpoint a game that you could request to be on that, uh, what would it be? Um, being selfish, it would have to be the second game against Southampton when I got a hat trick, Dave. But I don't really want to talk about that, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the one that stood out for me that season, it, it, I think it's a, a Premier League classic. Was the the four four match we had against Everton at Goodison Park? I managed to get myself two goals. Harry Kuehl scored from a cross. He still says that he, he tried to chip the goalkeeper from the sideline when his body shape completely suggests otherwise. It was blatantly a cross that looped in. Um, Johnny Woodgate scored with a header, and it was just an end-to-end game. That finished 4-4, I think it was David Weir scored the equaliser um, to make it 4-4, and it was just a brilliant game to be part of. It was it was end-to-end. We, we should have won it, but that's that's one that definitely sticks out in my mind. And, you know, I scored a, I scored a tap-in in that game, which was always nice to get as a striker. That's what you're paid to do. And Darren Huckabee just sent me a link on Twitter just this morning, actually, from the goal that I scored because he got the assist for that for that goal. And I scored a lovely looping goal over Gerard, but it was a game that I absolutely loved being part of. Is it my turn? You get the, what? You, what, uh, what? What are you putting in the request for? Um, I'd have to go, um, and I'd say it's my best ever Leeds performance in a lead shirt is there'll only uh, be one game then yeah I know <laughs> funny I turn the comedian so really? I've got, there's plenty of time for me to start saying stuff so I'd, I'd, I'd drink your beer and be quiet if I was you um I would say it would be um Ellen Road Tuesday night Champions League 1-0 against AC Milan um, yeah take it there um, Take us there again, Dubs. Come on, set the so, scene. Uh, there's, the club's got lots of injuries. Um, Lucas is injured. Uh, Woody's injured. Um, I think was Dom might have been injured as well. Um, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> just building it up. Emotional and, uh, there. I'm just building it up. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lump in my throat. Yeah, and uh, so then I remember. So the, it was me and Danny Mills centre half, and I never forget. When they announced the pitch during the warm, the team during the warm up, there's a little bit of a groan in Ellen Road, and I was like, "All right, cool." And I listen. I you find any fuel to 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 anything to fuel to, to turn me on. So I remember I looked at Millsy. Was like, "Okay," and they remember they've got Shevchenko and Beerhoff. You know, Shevchenko at the time was you know not not the Chelsea Shevchenko. This is talking the AC Milan Shevchenko. There's a difference for anyone who don't know football. It's like the Torres Liverpool and the you know the Torres at Chelsea. There's a difference, um, and Shevchenko was like this hot shot and Beerhoff as well, and you know everyone's going, oh my god, we've just come off uh, the four nil defeat at Barcelona at New Camp, and everyone's thinking, oh my god, we're going to be the whipping boys of Europe, and uh, you know we're in the tunnel now. I, live, I always tell my boys this story: we're in the tunnel now, 
about to go out. And I always like come out after the goalkeeper. And uh, I remember standing there and uh, I didn't forget Maldini, the captain, turned around and I always had like game face. So I didn't smile at anyone. I just had straight face, like, you know what? Like I'm trying to use Mike Tyson intimidation at the beginning. Like, like, do you know what I mean? So, uh, and I never forget Maldini turned around, looking down the tunnel, his teammates looked at me, nodded and went to shake my hand. I'm thinking, in my head, I'm thinking, he knows who I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give a little nod, like, yeah, all right, Paolo. Rain it in a little bit, mate. We've got a game to play. Um, and then thinking, like, yeah, going out there, ready. All of a sudden now, the best thing that happened to us that night started raining. Like a rainy night, Ellen Road, under the lights. Honestly, I get goose pumped thinking of that game, like the, the atmosphere, like the noise, you know, the, the, your, you know, as a kid, you used to love playing in the rain, your shirt soaking, like you, you're tussing with, you know, beer off in the air, bang, have that. Shevchenko running down the line. Um, like, do you know what I mean? And it, like, it's, it's like nil-nil, close game. You're thinking, not going to make a mistake. And obviously, Dida made a mistake. Both scores, 1-0, we win the game. Unbelievable. One of the best games, like, of my career in general, like, just for the atmosphere, the result, do you know what I mean? Just, like, just, you know, coming off, like, these drenched, like, lead shirt, like, you're there. I think I... What I, about the atmosphere and the crowd afterwards, mate? Ah, oh, unbelievable. Like, I love night games, but night games at Ellen Road was unbelievable. But night games, Ellen Road, and then, like, European games, wow, different level, different level. Like, the noise... Yeah, because, obviously, you had you had Bierhoff and um, Shevchenko in your pocket that night, and you look back, I mean, Paolo Maldini had me in his pocket. He, he had an absolute blinder. I couldn't get a touch until I went up against Costa Curta. But who, whose shirt did you get after the game? Did you swap with anybody? I think I got Beerhoff's Did you? Um, yeah. Shirt. yeah, I got Beerhoff shirt. Um, yeah, I think I got his shirt. Like, but I was like, for me, and like, to be fair, when I was playing, I was never into that swapping shirt. So I just like, I'm just playing. Like, do you know what I mean? Uh, be fair, the one story I, I, I tell her, I was... We played the Super Cup um, against Real Madrid. I'll just repeat that again. We played the oh, Super Chelsea. Cup against Real Madrid with Chelsea, right? And after the game, you know, there was all world superstars. Chelsea had superstars. Real Madrid had superstars. So I wanted, they're all mates, aren't they? So we're swapping shirts. So I thought, oh, I need a shirt. So I remember after the game, me and Jody Morris went to the Real Madrid dressing room, knocked on the door and said, like, you know, swap shirts, swap shirts. You know, like, you know, like, yeah. so I give it to their kit man. He, so he, he took the shirts in. We waited five minutes. Think he was going to get shirts. He come back out with both our shirts. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, like, no worries, mate. No worries. Cheers. Thank you. And just went back in ours. And this, I think I asked like one of our teammates. I think we asked like Marcel or someone to get a shirt. I can't remember. I've got. I must have got like the the sub who was just like you know the youth team player. Heard of from Real yeah. Team. Yeah. El Pedro. Oh, who's El Pedro? Number forty-eight. Like I don't know. Yeah, but I'll take it. It's got a Real Madrid oh, wow. sign. Yeah, but yeah, that the AC Milan game, getting back, AC Milan game um, would be the one, like, you know, and I'd, I'd keep trying to get um, a version of it, but like getting the, I don't know who's got the rights. I'm trying to get the, like a, a version of that game, but I don't know who who would have well, the rights. I will ask Dave Wiener, who is obviously on our podcast here. This guy is a, a guru offline dubs. He puts podcasts together with social media. I'll see if we can get it out of the archives with Optus Sport, mate, and I will um, yeah. see if we can we transfer we'll over. Digging. We'll do some digging. That, that campaign just overall, Bridget, was, was special. I mean, you guys got through at the expense of Barcelona. We've heard you tell your story about um, Rivaldo praying in Camp Nou and, and, and all that, but looking back, Camp Nou, San Siro, all these spectacular venues, um, 
we, 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 we have a lot of jokes on the gang pod and we have a lot of jokes on broadcast, but um, you, you come with experience at some pretty special football temples. <laughs> yeah, and I, I look back, I pinch myself, Dave, because, um, like I say, coming one season before that Champions League or two seasons before that, I'm playing reserve football at Sunderland on away trips down to crew and you're, you're playing in front of one man and his dog behind closed doors and then the following season... You, you know, you're in Europe with the UEFA Cup with Leeds United and then the following year, I'm playing at the, the new camp and just thinking, well, what the hell am I doing here? You know what I mean? What, what, where's, where's my, how's my life changed around so much? And it, it's such a privilege to look back at that. At the time, I think you take it for granted until you see the scoreline when it's 4-0. But um, we played against some superb teams, mate. And I look back in the Champions League campaign with very fond memories early on and tragic memories because it was the game against... Best league task that basically finished my career at the top level, and I had to have a, a real reality check on on life and on a on a personal football level as well, because I was told I would never play again, and I had to try and become a fan and support the boys from you know from a, a hospital bed and then from going back to my mom and dad's house to watch the boys playing at the San Siro and going so far in the Champions League. No one I played an early part in it, but obviously I was devastated not to be able to finish that campaign off um, with. With the club, you mentioned you mentioned last week the injuries, Bridgie, um, and wondering whether it was a bit more of a coincidence what happened to that cohort back in the day. Yeah. Uh, Michael, do you have any thoughts on on that? Just Bridgie was going through the all the, uh, the the track record of everyone after Leeds, and perhaps there was more there was more injuries than than you know people noticed at the time. Do you think it was something more than a coincidence and bad luck? Something that maybe uh, the club could have done differently? Um, I didn't. I didn't even know, like you know, uh, how many injuries there are. But we trained hard. We trained hard, and you know, football you, is. Before you start, let us just recap. You you snapped your Achilles tendon, correct? Yeah, I, I the same time you was injured. Like when you were just saying there about you know after after AC Milan, um, I I ruptured my Achilles. I think two games later at Derby. So I watched the rest of the campaign. I missed out on the San Siro. I watched them get to the semi-finals. So, you know, you'd be the chief supporter. And again, because of the, the build-up of the squad, there's no malice. You want everyone to do well. But at the same time, of personal pride and professionalism, you like you wanted to be there. You know, when people, like, and it, even for me now, when people talk about the semi-finals, oh, semi-finals, I say it, you know, gingerly, because I didn't get to the semi-finals myself. I'm like, yeah, we've we done well. Do you know what I mean? But I was injured. I always say I was injured. Like, no, I don't want to take praise. I was, I was injured. Like the boys well, done well. Again, I was saying to Dave last week and uh, the listeners, I, I snapped my Achilles tendon, ruptured that. You did that. Harry Kuehl had a lot of um, Achilles tendon injuries. He went on to Liverpool, had groin issues. Woodgate, when he went to Newcastle and Real Madrid, never really recovered. McPhail had Achilles injuries. Don Matteo yeah. struggled with I just look back and I think, and then obviously Alan Smith had a, an inevitable one at Manchester United. But I don't know if there was something that we were doing or whether it was the amount of games or the training that we did that affected us uh, in, in our later well, life. It, it, may, it, may, it may be well be that. But, I, I, you know, I'm saying now there's more science. So the the training and the, the, the rehab, but we had, we had, we had like top people there at the time, but maybe it's just, just the body is just taking its toll because the, the, the level that you, we play at and people don't realize the, the level that your body the stress your body gets through in 90 minutes and in the training levels, because every 
the, the, the games were not, not easy, but easier because the level of training was that hard and intense. So every day, every day, every day. So then at some stage, your body's going to, it's going to take its toll. And maybe everyone, you know, in that group, we just took their toll on their bodies. And, you know, some players, you're lucky, you go through your careers, not many injuries, if any. And sometimes you know, you're very unfortunate that you have the stop, start injuries, the big ones, the little ones, the niggly ones. Um, and that group, maybe, you know, as you just said it, like it, it may be a coincidence, but at the time, you know, you had Dave Hancock, who was, let's be honest, he was the top of what he'd done. And, you know, the, 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 the sports science we was doing and the rehab, there was so much thought being put into it. Um, so we did have the recovery. The training ground we had was the, the tops, you know, the ice baths, this and that. So we was ahead of, of most teams at that sort of stuff, you know, but I don't know, maybe people's body just broke down at that stage before their time. Interesting stuff. I mean, you can only look back on it now in hindsight, but um, one of those weird weird ones because it was such a great cohort of players who, as Bridgie mentioned, um, might have seen their best days there. A couple of guys I want to also ask you about, um, Michael. We spoke at length about uh, Mark Viduka, Harry Kuehl last week, but there were there were so many Aussies around Leeds at the time. Um, your f- your fondest memory or anecdote about uh, uh, the, the Socceroos that you you played with as well? Um, uh, say H. Um, me and H used to watch the wrestling together. He's into his wrestling, so that was we had a bond there. Um, you actually went out and bought WWF wrestling belts, if I do remember you two yeah, sad. You used to yeah. wear them around the Blumen training ground, thinking yeah, you were. I, I, I you still got think my, it was the Rock, and you used to think you were. Who, who did you used to be? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, really sad, Dave. Honestly, mate, twenty seeing twenty-two year old men walking around with WWF belts on at a football club and tombstoning each other and DDTing each other was listen, embarrassing, mate. Listen. So Harry Kuehl was the Rock. Yep. Yeah, he's he like Rock. Stone, Stone Cold Steve Austin was my man. I mean, 316, because Stone Cold said so. Anyway, um, any wrestling fans out there? Yeah, and um, uh, Vadooks, I just meant Vadooks was, um, Vadooks was more, whether he knew it or not, was very uh, a powerful character in the squad because he had the power to destroy a session or lift it. Do you know what I mean? He, he was just like, he's, you know, Vadooks would come in. And he'd be happy. Ah, oh, he'd be the bubbly, or he'd come in moody and just bring the whole mood down. Um, like great guy. I just remember him. He was at the back of the bus. Everyone's looking at like I don't know, four four two FHM. He was looking at um, boat magazines. He wanted to buy a yacht for when he retired. Go back to Croatia. <laughs> um, guess yacht. what he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He must be living in his yacht. Uh, you know, back in Croatia, big fat yacht. You know. Um, Vadooks was I like Vadooks. Jacob Burns, um, good lad. Um, a you know, nightmare yeah. to train against, wasn't he? He was like a terrier. He just scored kicking everybody. Yeah, yeah, just like yeah, he just. But he had to, he had to, he had to. You know, he's coming to a squad. He had to show, like, listen, I'm, I can be here, and he had to find his way. And maybe that was kicking everyone, showing he can live with it. So, you know, so you had to make your mark. Um, David Hayes, he wasn't an Aussie, he was a New Zealand, wasn't he? He was New Zealand, Danny Hay. Yeah, um, yeah. And we had the other lad, um, Danny Milosevic, the goalkeeper. That's the goalkeeper, yeah. He looked like, he looked like um, what's his name? Uh, what's the Everton goalkeeper? Uh, Gerard. Gerard, yeah. He looked like he was, he was his twin. Um, what happened to him? Did he go back to Australia and start playing? 
he's actually at Perth Glory now as a goalkeeping coach. He went over to the A League to play. He's him and Jake, uh, Jacob Burns back back together working at the same football club over here, mate. So, um, uh, oh, Burns, he a coach, is he? Yeah, goalkeeping coach, brilliant, top man. No, not Burns, you know, Burns is not the goalkeeping coach. I'd be worried if Jacob Burns is the goalkeeping <laughs> coach. <laughs> Burns is uh, Burns is actually he, he didn't go into coaching role, he's gone into a a high, the the higher end behind the scenes with Perth Glory and the um, football ops manager. Ah, oh, okay, okay. I got you. I was a bit worried there. Thinking. By the way, what was what was the Dukes like to market training? Oh, um, tough. Yeah, because he he can hold the ball up. Great feet of a big man. Um, really good feet. Uh, but he was strong as well. So it was it was it was it was a tough it was a tough marketing. He had the best Cruyff since Johan Cruyff. I'm saying that they're like. It was Johan Cruyff done the best Cruyff, and then there was the Dukes just behind him. It, Cruyff was so smooth and sweet; it was unbelievable, especially for a big man. It was like it was lovely, um, good Dave, feet. Dave, what I've got to say, I used to hate training against Dukes because what you what you would feel when the ball was coming into your feet, I used to love it because I could just pull off to a little angle. But when there was that one coming into your mid drift or or it was head height, and you heard you heard the name Dubreze, you knew he was coming. I used to in train and think I don't want to miss this weekend's game. I might just try and duck out the way of this one. But when the when Big Vadukes came and he had a, a head the size of Dubes as well, it was just like two. You know when you see two antelopes or two yaks going together head to head. And honestly, mate, the aerial battle between these two was phenomenal. It was un, unbelievable to witness. So it was always you know I, I learned a lot of both of them um, about the like I say the passion, the drive, and training. But when Vadukes came. I saw, you know, it was he actually inspired me to to physically get myself stronger because he was very, very powerful against people like Dubes and and I, I really, I really struggled when we came up against people like Saul Campbell, Martin Keown, and Tony Adams when I went for that physical battle. So I learned a lot of the Dukes in that respect. Now, Bridgie, I'm uh, busting to get to some Chelsea questions. So as we close this part of the chat down, is there any other anything else we should uh, we should know, or that we should, um, or, or closing memories from 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 this time? I just want to know if Dubes has still got these fifty five pairs of Nike trainers that he used to have in his hotel room. No, and his no. Is that he does shell tracksuit? I, 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 I used to have um, like load Nike TNs. I used to collect Nike. And I used to like go anyone go anywhere around the world. I'd make them get me a pair. So I had all the colours, like so many colours. But um, when I moved, I got rid of them. I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't wear them. I thought oh, it looks a bit stupid now. I'm like in my thirties. I'm wearing these bright yellow coloured TNs, like grow up. So I got rid of them. I retired them along with the earring. I just put it away. So got got it's got to go. So um, I'll, I'll tell you no. another one, Dave. He did actually have a good karaoke voice because we used to do songs on the buses um, every now and again, and. Uh, it's always, you know, always Westlife though. The Irish boys just went in Westlife, didn't they? It was always, it was always Westlife. Kells used to bust a Lionel Richie or Elton John. Um, but mine yeah, was it was all boring, of... mine was the boring vanilla rice. Stop collaborating, listen. That was the easy yeah, go to yeah, one yeah. for me. You wasn't very good at it. But I got Bridgie. Was you? Was you? Was you part of the? Um, the lot of us that we had um, a bet, and uh, we had to one day when. DOL wasn't there. We had to go in his office and you had to do three spins of the chair and then get out. And there was about six of us. Was you there? I was there, mate. I nearly got yeah. caught. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're ready to go and you're running. You do three spins of his spinny chair and get out. He's like, oh my God. I remember, mean, forget that. And then the one where we had to for a train, you had to run over the houses in the gardens. We climbed over the fence. <laughs> These are the things, Dave, that we used to set each other before training. 
who could go and run into the manager's office, do three spins of his chair and get out without getting caught, and then go garden hopping in the neighbours' gardens that backed onto the training grounds. You know what I mean? Like it's it was just brilliant. Do you remember? Do you ever before we finish the Leeds one? Do you ever remember pre-season? So we like pre-season now, and everyone's got back together, training yet, brilliant. And we've gone out doing a little warm up and doing that sort of stuff. And then we see David O'Leary start walking over with his limp. And then everyone goes, like, we say, the first one talked to the manager. And there was never a forfeit, so the first one was the manager. So the manager's come over. How you doing, Bridgie? Bridgie blank him. Kells, how's Jules? He blank him. Maka, how you doing? Doobs, you okay? And everyone blank him. Nobody hey. was speaking to him. <laughs> blank him. Hey, hey. Run him, run him hard, double sessions, hey! And everyone just like blanking him, but no one would speak. Once everyone says the first one too, no one would speak. Well, that would find the forfeits if you did actually speak to the manager. If somebody said, you can't do it. That's what I'm saying, Dave. The camaraderie was so tight. It was hilarious to witness. Oh, I love that place. Brilliant, brilliant. So come on, let's move on to Chelsea. Times now, you know what? And even as a neutral, I actually remember growing up watching that, uh, watching that team late at night and, uh, it's great to great to look back and and I tell you what you had a good time by the sounds of it too. Sounds like you uh, you ran a muck the lot of you as well uh, at the best of times. But before then, uh, Michael, you came from Chelsea, of course. Where as you mentioned, you know you came to Leeds as a player who had, who had won won things, played with some illustrious players. And uh, Bridgie, we're talking this morning, and Bridgie, I was speaking to him, and he was he was watching Soccer Box or Premier League Legends on Off the Sport with Gianfranco Zola, who was part of that sort of um, that 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 bank of, uh, of of shows we're showing at the moment. And uh, I just want to know: there's no better place to start than ask you what it was like playing with the great man and watching him at close quarters. Gianfranco Zola, man, what can you say? Um, small in stature, but as a person, is a mammoth of a man. Like, um, is unbelievable. Like, I can't speak highly enough of him. When uh, when he was at the time, we had John Spencer, um, who was playing the number ten role. Unbelievable, playing really well. Scottish guy come from Glasgow Rangers, scoring goals. Like, everyone's going, oh my god! And then we said, like, we're signing Gianfranco Zola. Like, and was like, why? Jam, like, why do we need Jam Frank? We've got Spenny's plan really well. No, it was like, and he's like, yeah, he's a Napoli, like, free kick specialist. He was Diego Maradona's understudy. So what? Spenny's plan well. Sign this little small man walking around. How you doing? How you doing? Okay. His English, was, his English wasn't very good. Still not very good, to be fair. Poor. Um, and then, like, he's shaking everyone's hand. So, like, go out training. Oh, my God. Like, in training, his ball control, his, when he can cut, chop, well, banging balls in the corner. And I was like, wow, what have we signed? Finished training, everyone walks in, he stays out. So you're watching training from like, watching like, staying out. He's like, hey, hey he's saying to someone like, you know, Gary um, Straker, this, this, who was the interpreter at the time, um, like, have we got any like mannequins or whatever? So they get, like, they get him some mannequins, he puts them down, he's doing free kicks. He's like out there for about half hour, puts the ball down, Phew. Top corner, yeah, yeah, fluke. I mean, every free kick was like bang, 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 bang. Comes in. And from that day, that's the standard. That's the level. And he was the first one out, last one in. Like, his levels were like, and on match day, like, he was just, again, and he was such, like, a good one for the young lads. 
Do you know what I mean? He was like so good, like to help and talk and he embraced English culture where at the time there's a few that were like, you know, coming over thinking, yeah, we're, we're better than this English culture. I embraced it and he just like embraced everyone. So I can't speak highly enough of him. And I think that's what made him such a superstar. Incredible stuff. Great, great memories. It was a big dressing room. What, what was that? Uh, who who are the characters? Who are the dominant characters? Who Who shone through in the inner sanctum? Me, no joking. Um, uh, well, it was um, so yeah, yeah. The rat Dennis Wise, who's captain. Um, what did you call him? The rat. The rat, yeah, the little rat. Really? He was round everyone's feet in the rat, and he. Um, um, you had, you say, Roberto Di Matteo, uh, Gus Poyo, Poyo. He was a character, funny. Again, another one who who was just like embracing English culture. I wouldn't stop talking, laughing, joking. Uh, Marcel, The Rock. Um, what even a player though, he was, by the way. That's I mean, even though he, he, he put the nail in my Chelsea coffin um, when he signed. But um, there was, yeah. And then obviously the, the young English players. Um, we had, so when we was at Chelsea, we had, when all the foreign players come in, we, we, we had a little group called The Rebels. It was like the English, so me, Jody, Frank, um, Andy Myers, we score ourselves the Rebels, um, just because, like, you know, Jordy Morris and Frank who? Sinclair. Yeah. Yeah, Andy Myers, we call ourselves the Rebels, like, just like, thinking, oh, you know what, all the other foreigners are coming, we still got our little bit, and we should be there, and even the foreigners, like, oh, the Rebels, like, it was quite funny, like, a little bit of banter and all that sort of stuff, but the, the mix was good, I mean, the one thing we, we had in common, like, um, was we, we wanted to win, and they, and like, a lot of the, the team knew how to win, so we wanted to win. Like was there, we wanted to win because when I look at the 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 difference between Leeds and 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 Chelsea, was the expectations. There was really no expectations. We just wanted to win at Leeds. We wasn't expected to win. We we wanted to like at Chelsea. There was expectation we had to win something. It was like there's an expectation. But dude, you also had you also had people that had won it in the past at different yeah. country so level at that, national level. They come, they come and they wanted, they, they knew how to and they knew the formula, they knew what to get over. They, and it was like, it was there. So there was that about it. There was, that's the, the thing. But for me, um, I was a young lad, um, embracing it, part of it, learning from it. Um, just like, you know what, just remember there was seasons, like two seasons before, like Glenn Hoddle coming in. And all of a sudden now from Glenn Hoddle, he went Rude Hullet. I just watched Rude Hullet in the, the European Championships donning it for Holland. Now he's my teammate. Do you know what I mean? I've got Mark Hughes, who I've seen as a kid, like I had 27 Panini stickers of Sparky. Um, <laughs> so like, see what I mean? Got swap. Do you know what I mean? Who, who, was your, who was your biggest influence at that Chelsea time? Like who who was your motivator, the one you learnt the most off, whether that was watching them train or actually taking um, you under their wing at a young age? Uh, you know, I always say this. There was like Sparky helped me, but unfortunately, there 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 wasn't someone that got me under their wing. Paul Elliott got injured like two seasons before, so his career had ended. So I was learning trial and error, so I had to make mistakes, and that's why it's kind of always wanted to be that player to help young lads. Frank Leboeuf, who was my centre half partner, he never helped me. Remember, he's an international for France, and he could have helped me steered me and guide me when Marcel turned up even though his competition 
he had words of wisdom and helped me do this, you know, boom, boom, boom. You know, sometimes in mid, sometimes in training, try playing in midfield. So you see the game different. You get used to looking around them more, helping this. Um, Ray that's Wilkins. That's what you said, yeah? Yeah, he said, that, he said that's what helped him at centre-half because he played midfield. So now his way of looking around, he opens up a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? So Ray Wilkins helped. Glenn Hoddle was a massive help. He instilled discipline in me. Um, when I first broke through, he wouldn't allow me to talk to any press. He said, like, get your feet on the ground. I remember, never forget, like, I broke through. Um, I went on loan to Bournemouth, broke, come back, played Leeds against Tony Yaboa and done well. He went, you're done well, but next week's the, the big test for you. So I'm like, okay, so we're playing uh, Teddy Sheringham at Spurs and uh, Chris Armstrong. Did well there. Yeah, done well, but next week's the big test for you. Oh my God. So I'm playing Alan Shearer. And Les Ferdinand, Newcastle. Hmm. you like, I tell you what, you've done well, but next week's a big test for you. I'm like, so I'm thinking I can't, like, so play Ian Wright and Dennis Perkamp. Yeah, that's a good one. But that, so he kept doing that and probed me and I didn't want to fail him. You know, I'm doing well. The press wanted to speak. I'll speak to the press. Don't worry about that. And just kept me grounded. I'll go to Old Trafford, do well. Go and sit on the bus. He's like, oi, what are you doing? Get back in there. Get the skips in. So I'm like, just played against, you know, Eric Cantona and done well. And now I'm carrying a, a skip and he's looking at me like, <laughs> yeah, right, mate. So like, just kept me grounded, grounded. So he was a massive influence. Do you know what I mean, Graham Ricks was a massive influence. Um, you know, those that, that, that just give me their experience. But as a player, I didn't have no one take me under their wing. But Sparky, the senior players, uh, Dave Rocastle, who I'd have to say like this day, Today, we passed 19 years ago. So God rest his soul. Dave Rocastle, um, legend. Um, he was a massive influence. Mark Steen, um, again, they, they, they gave me like words of wisdom and helping me. But I never had that, the player that I tried to be. That's why I steered it on myself, just to help and guide and this era, to pull it to the side. But there was, you know, you just had to just make sure. My thing was made sure that, I wasn't the weakest link in a, a team full of superstars. I yeah, weren't going to be the one when they said, uh, him, the weakest link. I made sure that it was someone else because my job was like, and my department was like bang. And I always made sure I gave the team something they didn't have energy, power, strength, speed. And they never had that. Someone that dominates and someone that, pff, listen, top players were playing against me and then they go over to Frank LaBeouf because they knew they'd get some change out of him. So I made sure I weren't the weakest link. I tell you what, a fascinating insight compared to the way you both spoke about Leeds earlier on and how different dressing rooms, different environments can push you and inspire you in, in different ways. Um, you did win trophies there. You did win trophies. What was what was that experience like? What does everyone talks about, um, you know, that's what you play for and what actually happens when you're a young lad and, 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 and you were part of that? You know, the crazy thing is, I'll, I'll start with this, is I'll never, I remember John McEnroe, the tennis player, saying something similar. And by 23, no, by, no, by 22, I had won two European trophies and a, a domestic trophy, a League Cup, the European Cup Winners' Cup and the European Super Cup. So I'm thinking, my career is going to be laced with medals and cup finals. And you you don't tend to embrace him as the way you should. I remember we went to we were playing a, a cup final. I see remember Sparky taking pictures. Going Sparky, we take your pictures for man. He's going do. Sometimes you have to 
well, I'm, I'm looking, thinking, taking pictures, man. I'm walking around thinking cup final, like, and the only two you remember, like, why he's taking it in. And he'd played in many cup finals, but he's realising his, his age and things don't happen so often. So at 22, cup finals, like, well, getting used to semi-finals, cup finals. Um, like I said, I have to say, <clears throat> my record is three cup finals, three victories, no goals conceded. Not bad. Do you know what I mean? So, as a little proud stat, and one of them cup finals against Real Madrid. Sorry, I missed that. Do you want to repeat that, please? Yeah, for, for, those, for those whose volume actually went down, um, I'm saying three cup finals, three wins, no goals conceded. Um, you had a good goalkeeper. So it's not not a bad not a bad stat. But um, so when I remember the first first cup final playing Middlesbrough, and I'll never forget it. I was sponsored by Nike at the time, and then they just brought out Nike Mercurials. And uh, they, they I'm, we're going to send you some night materials for wearing the cup final. We're like, okay, cool. They sent me them. There was a half a size too big. I'm like, what? And because they, they sent them, they were expecting you to wear them. So I'm like, can't wear them now. I ain't wearing them. Like, they're too big. They're too big. And, uh, you know, like as a footballer, you have things you don't want to get out your, take out your your phase, your your frame of mind. So I just put my old ones on, played. But I I come down with like a, like a, a stomach bug. And so I didn't even enjoy the, the, the cup final. I just remember playing on like adrenaline, won a cup final, like just like celebrated, like thinking, oh my God, one, I'm a North London boy. So Wembley was just down the road, um, family coming up. Uh, I remember like, I mean, I just remember Gaza, like Gaza just signed. I think it's Paul Gascoigne, Paul Gascoigne, Paul Gascoigne. Um, and uh, we beat them. The, the cup winners cup, um, I had Bell's palsy. Which those who don't know, Bell's palsy is like a mini stroke. So two weeks before, I got come down with Bell's palsy. So one side of my face had collapsed, so I couldn't speak properly. So I played the cup that cup final with Bell's palsy. So I had to hold my face up to speak because um, it kept collapsing. So I played that. So if you look at look at um, the serious? photo, yeah, I played you the cup final. Point when you came to Leeds, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I had that. Um, so played with that, and then the Super Cup. Um, to be fair, Super Cup was just normal, but I never forget building up to the Super Cup and just signed Marcel, who just come back from winning the World Cups. So you're thinking, oh, I'm not playing. And Luca Viali pulled me, he was in Monaco, pulled me after training. We've done training. He goes, um, Dubs, can you come here? I think, oh, he's going to tell me I'm not playing. Yeah, Luca, he said, listen, for what you've done for me last year, I'm starting you. Marcel will play, but he'll play in midfield. I'm like, oh, brilliant. I, like, listen, thank you. No, you, you've earned this place. So I've played there. But winning it, like, I never appreciated it then. But when I look now and downstairs at my medals and, like, thinking I've come out of football as a winner, winning something, like, getting to football is great. Like, you know, you're in that 0.01% of players that get to the pinnacle Premier League football. But then to win something where some players don't do and to hold a trophy, to lift a trophy, a European trophy, beating Real Madrid in a cup, like it's it's amazing. And only now do I look back and reflect and think. Because remember, when I was at Leeds, I never used to go. I'm, I've won anything because it, it was nothing to brag about. It was like, there, you know, there's nothing to. And one thing Chelsea did teach me was to be humble, because I'm in a dressing room full of superstars. What am I going to be bragging for? Like bragging about what? Uh, do you know what I mean? So in Leeds, I went you to Leeds. I've got to ask you, mate. Like they. Them trophies, do you, you've lifted them? Did you do you get replicas of them to keep personally, or 
And no, we're I mean, promoted that's... with Sunderland the championship. The fans always see the big medals that we wear, which are obviously not they're not real solid gold. But then when 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 you get sent the ones through the post from the the FA, you get the smaller ones that are the the solid gold that actually means something, you know. And that's what do you what do you get when you win the the things like the Super Cup and things like that? You get the medal that they give to you there. You don't get anything different. They they give you the medal that they put around your neck. Um, when you see the players with the, the trophies, they they must go and buy them personally, um, or get them made personally. Terry on Instagram with his in Michael Owen with a big the big UEFA <laughs> Cup trophies. They've gone and got them built themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, unless yeah. the club bought them out, you, they're not getting them. The club don't give you them. Um, you just get the the trophies. So the the club have um, you know you get the ones around your neck. You just you keep and you take home. Um, and then that's it. You don't even get like, even with the League Cup, you just got like, I mean, the League Cup um, medal is like, it's like one of them little medals you get when you do the 100 metres at school. It's that small. Yeah. It's like, oh, cheers. Do you know what I mean? You're not seeing what I've had to do to get this, but yeah. And, you and been at a posh school because I only got certificates. Is it? Did you actually go to school? Well, you know, I'm from the North East, dudes. I went you, went to, you, you just went to the snooker club, didn't you? Um, and played bandits. Um <laughs> I used to go down the arcades. Yeah, <laughs> tip the money, put it in the porky machines. Or just trying to nudge the machine. Hopefully, a few coins fall out. Um, yeah, so that 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 was you know that was um, you know you look back only now you know only only now do you appreciate your accomplishments because Bridget say voucher this is a you didn't because one the worst thing someone can say to you is in football is your Billy Big Time or your Flash. So you didn't you didn't used to. You know, if some if you have a good game, even Bridges scored his hat trick. You didn't go, oh, brilliant game. You wait for someone else to give you a praise. So that become the norm. You didn't actually praise yourself. You might say, oh, I, I done all right. Only now can you say, I had a brilliant game. I scored that because you reflect. At the time, you don't. You don't want to go oh, big time. So you 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 remain humble. You play things down. So only now do you appreciate. But as a kid, when I lifted my first one, it's amazing because I used to drive past Wembley every, every day, and now um, I'm like part of a team that you know done something and I'm st- a little little um, thing for me is good that I'm still part of one of the owners much success Chelsea had I'm part of the team that's the only ever won the Super Cup for the club so um, it's not a bad team there you go yeah exactly hey before we before we wrap up just one jump into the present um, Jody Morris did he ever was he always destined to be a coach and um, and what have you made of what he's Gone on to do and the role him and 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 Frank Lampard are doing now at Stanford Bridge. Um, Jody, Jody, before you here, dude, because when he came to Leeds United, yeah, he, he obviously was mates with you. Jody come from from a, I think obviously Chelsea came to Leeds, and if I'd have seen Jody more a cracking player, lovely on the ball, and a top guy that fitted into the culture at Leeds superbly. But if you're talking about somebody going into management and coaching the way that he has done, looking back, I would have said not never a, an opportunity would I have seen him having the patience in the mindset to go and do that. And I just think it's absolutely cracking how somebody has changed their whole way of thinking um, and gone and done what he has done. And um, good good credit on him. But Dubes knows him a lot better than me. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you in the sense that um, Jody's very intelligent, always been an intelligent player. Um, great football brain, great player, but as a player, lack of patience. Um, he get frustrated easy, lack of discipline. Um, and you couldn't really see him being like 
the coaching, st- like the, the managerial coaching style. So as, as he got older and I was with him at St. Johnson later on, you can tell, you know, that was where he's veering to. Um, but still there was a little bit of like impatience because remember sometimes when you're um, a good player, sometimes you expect others to, to know how to do it so easily. Um, but I think circumstances um, and proper discipline and I think the grooming of being, you know, with the working with the the academy at Chelsea, you know, has just like elevated him, elevated him, and made him become a student. You know, the brain wise, he's always had it. Now we can put it into place. So I think he's transformed himself um, magnificently to get to level what he's doing. And him and Lamps uh, are doing a great job. I think people look at it and think, yeah, but it's only because they've sat fourth for so long. And now maybe they're wobbling that they're thinking, oh God, they're not doing that great a job. But in the league that that is, that Premier League and the teams, the other teams, they're doing a great job. And for first, you know, season, it's, it's, they're doing a great job. I think next year will be the the test, really be the test when there'll be, you know, the reins will be off. You know, they've got the money to spend, what they're going to do now when it's going to be Frank's own stamp on the team. So I think next year will be the real test. So, Dube, you've said that Chelsea have had a good year. I'm going to go to Dave Weiner here. Dave, you're you know you're you're a diehard blue man. Your your assessment of Chelsea and, and Frank's reign? Oh, before the season, looking at it as a even as a neutral, trying to you know look at it for work, you'd go teams three to four after City and Liverpool. Any one of them could have slid anywhere, and Chelsea would have been one of those teams that you could say they could genuinely have finished anywhere. So, for them to be fourth now or in the top four as we wait. I think it's phenomenal. And I think even notwithstanding the transfer ban, the way he's played the kids, there's been some fantastic football. And even as a fan, even if the results hadn't been that good, what you want to see for the most part is a, is a, is a game that you want to watch. And for that, to have a club legend be doing it at the same time, honestly to goodness, I think it's so far above expectations. I, th- I think uh, it augurs well, but obviously expectations are going to rise next year. But oh, I've been over the moon, notwithstanding the ruts. Yeah, I think I think it's done really well. I think it's 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 good. If people want to want to want to watch the game and enjoying it. I think is I think there are a few players they need to get whether they can get them and just to next year elevate it and and lift it. So hopefully that happens. Brilliant stuff. Now we we I mean we could tend to this is football talk. We could talk for hours and hours and hours. And and uh, how many how many beers are you down now, Bridgie? You, you, you settled in. Yeah, I'm only two down um, because, you know, it's getting a little bit warm. So if we can wrap this Bridget's up. Bridget's never I'm been a drinker. Another one. <laughs> <laughs> but I um, just want to end off with Michael um, in, in the UK. What are you up to now? What keeps you busy? Um, and, uh, well, in the ordinary course of business, I should say, not in these uh, in these strange times. What, what have you up to post-football? Post-football, um, I'm now an executive coach. Um, and when I say that term, people go, mm, what? what's a fancy football coach? No, it's not do that. It's I go into businesses, uh, individuals and set goals, make people better, um, going to change cultures in companies and businesses, speak to academies and, and give players a different mindset. Um, so as a whole, my, my role is to help people become better, do better and want to be better. Um, and that's what I do. You know, I'm working a lot now trying to, uh, work a lot more of academies so many um, football academies out there that want 
a former Premier League player to come and help change the culture and the mindset of their young players, give me a shout because that's what I do. I'm doing it over here, trying to get to the Premier League academies and, and the Football League academies because I think it's it's something where players can um, really excel if they just have a change of mindset. So that's what I do now. Um, always trying to help people um, and make them better. You know what Hello, I to say, dude? To the party out there. Made the, uh, made the podcast better, eh, Bridgie? Mate, I'll tell you what, he's, he's given us some positive vibes to think about as well, mate. And what I will say, dude, you're, you know, after everybody around the world does get over this coronavirus and obviously what is going on around the world, there's going to be a lot of, you know, um, obesity levels, there's going to be a lot of mental health issues. And I, I just think it's, you know, people like you that are in that industry um, with the, the positivity that you give off and the, the mentoring, mate, I think it's going to be a far better place and you know you're gonna have you're gonna have your hands full when we get out of this um this lockdown laws. So um I wish you all the best, mate, and you know, top man for joining us here. Cheers, Bridgie. Cheers, David. I just want to end on uh there's uh, no there's an interesting fact. I don't know if anyone knows, it might be common knowledge, but like does anyone know that you know like when people get married and they say in the vows and you know the tradition is like you know that saying then the, the the bride breaks down crying, oh my god. <laughs> In Bridget's wedding, it was Bridget that broke down crying and Kate was looking at him saying, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. Stop. Stop crying now or I'm going to be the one that objects and tells the vicar, stop. Bridget was the one that broke down crying. I remember me, Woody Kells in the background. This guy is embarrassing. Embarrassing. You know what what I remember? There's two things I remember about the wedding. That was the moment when I, I actually did break down and stopped. My bottom lip went and I started bubbling. And all I heard was one of the lads go, I can't believe he's crying. Now, I look at TV shows over here in Australia at the moment. They've got one called The, the Bachelor. Um, they've got one called Maths, where it's, you know, married at first sight and all this. And you see the guys breaking down and crying. I just look and go, that's embarrassing. And Kate always says, well, that was you at our wedding, you dick. So it's, yeah, it's, it's always come back to us. But the other, the other funny thing about that wedding, Dave, in dupes, there was Mike Dubes turned up with a brown suit on. Now Dubes is six foot four. He's about five foot wide, and Gary Kelly is about five foot four um, in height. And he had the same suit on at my wedding. It was brown as well. So as the drinks were flowing and we went down for the nighttime disco, I'll never forget. Dubes went to put this jacket on, and <laughs> he went to put the brown jacket on, and it was obviously the wrong jacket that he picked up. It was Kells's, and he. As he put it over his shoulders, it was like the Incredible Hulk had gone to put it on and the whole back of the seam just split and it just destroyed the suit. And Gaz Kelly went mental and he said, that's my suit jacket. So then he went and grabbed Doobses and ripped all the pockets off it and, and ripped the arms off it. And I thought, what the hell's going on? And honestly, 10 minutes later, all the Leeds lads were almost naked because all their gear had been ripped off them and they just turned into a massive brawl. Great memories, and that's what we're all about. Listen, it's lovely. Listen, guys, it's been brilliant. David, Bridgie, brilliant. I'd love to be on here another time, talk about something again. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. And if I uh, if I need a few more stories, I might get you off the record too, because I think uh, we need a big kit bag for Bridgie. So I know I know where to come now. Yeah, anytime, anytime. <laughs> Thanks. Just like to hear from So thank you very much. <laughs> no worries. See you later, guys. Thanks, Michael. And, and Bridgie, we'll do it all again next week, huh? We certainly will, mate. Looking forward to it as ever, Dave.
Good stuff. Stay safe. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. It was a bit longer this time, but why not? We've got the time and uh, we want to be entertained and, and, and enjoy ourselves at this time. So as I normally say, until the next gig and pod, enjoy your football. But until the next gig and pod, stay safe, look after yourselves and uh, all the very best. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>